just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Present Influence, the podcast today with a very special guest, Rocky Romanella. Rocky is currently the founder and president of uh, and CEO of 360 Management Services and author of a great book called Titan the Lug Nuts. Uh, his 360 Management Services is a complete management service company with seasoned professionals focused on thought leadership, leadership development and process improvement. Rocky served as CEO and director of Unitech Global Services and also spent 36 years at UPS, which is a global corporation with one of the most recognized and admired brands in the world. Rocky has lots of insights to share with us today on the call. Let me first of all welcome Rocky Romanella. Hi, Rocky. Welcome. Hey, John. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you today and I look forward to our discussion and, and I look forward to our discussion and hopefully it's helpful for your audience. I hope so too. I'm sure it will be. Please uh, start by sharing with us how you got started in the world of business and industry. Well, thank you very much for asking. So uh, went to college, uh, was working part-time at UPS to pay my way through school. I actually went to school to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. That was the passion and the vision of what my career was going to be. And I recognized quickly on inside the organization as I was working my way through school that some of the best leaders were those leaders who could get the, their people to connect the dots. And so they were educating and training and coaching them as, as they were leading them. And so for me, I thought this could be a way for me to have my coaching fix and my teaching fix and just doing it in a different classroom. Instead of the traditional classroom, I would do it in a business setting. And so I changed my major to management. Uh, and start, took a promotion to a part-time supervisor. And then UPS had a promotion from within policy, which I took advantage of. And I guess you could say, John, the rest is history. Great. What, what inspired you to, to build your way up through the company? Or maybe who inspired you building your way up through? Actually, it was my dad. So when I got the job at UPS, he's since passed. But when I got my job at UPS, he told me two things, John, that stuck with me throughout my whole career and life. The first thing he said to me is, hey, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And then the second thing he told me is learn your job and learn some more. And so as I was growing and developing inside UPS and got a tap on the shoulder and someone said, hey, it's time, you know, we got an opportunity for you in Chicago. I was living in New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I'm thinking to myself, are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, I'm the guy you think is ready for this promotion. I may not have always felt ready, but all, I could always hear my dad over my shoulder say, hey, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And so I said, okay, if you think I'm ready, uh, let's go do it. And yes and thank you. Well, one of, one of the things I learned there, John, was a very important lesson that, that I've carried throughout my career. And, and that's that as a leader, there are going to be times that you have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. You may not think you're ready. You may, you may lack some of the confidence or the skill or the experience, but the organization or your, or your manager sees something in you and believes that you're ready for that. And so as a leader, you believe in your people oftentimes until they're ready to believe in themselves. And then you have that kind of break even point where you're feeling good about yourself, the organization's feeling good about yourself. And then I think the, the really fun part is when your skill, your knowledge, your experience, your confidence takes over and you really start to fly. And that's when as a good leader, you really take that step back, right? That's when you don't overmanage your people. That's when you allow them to fly. And so that's sort of that development that I learned firsthand by people doing that for me. And I always took that as a great lesson going forward that you have to believe in your people at times until they're ready to believe in themselves. 
did you want to become a leader or was it something that just kind of grew up around what you were doing? I think it's more, I, it grew up. I mean, I was always that person, you know, in sports was, you know, generally the captain of the team or, or, or I, I wasn't as vocal though, as you may think now being a keynote speaker and, you know, a former CEO and a president at UPS, but it was one of those things you, I just took responsibility. Something needed to get done. You, you, you took care of it. But I, I would say to you, I, you know, my passion was teaching and coaching. And so therefore, I guess as a coach, you would consider yourself as a, uh, a leader. Uh, me personally, I think some of the greatest leaders are teachers. It's the legacy that they leave behind. That's so important. And for me, legacy is, is that kind of distinction of you as a leader. Do you leave things a little better than you found them? Are people better because of the time with you? And I think teachers are the, the a glaring example of that legacy and all, you know, I, if you and I were at a keynote conference anywhere in the world and I asked the people in the audience, you know, who may be the local politician or the local exec, you know, executive or board of ed, whatever, pick, pick, pick a country you're in. And, you know, some of those types of individuals and their titles, most people in the audience couldn't name who their local maybe politicians or, you know, local people are. But if I said to everyone, if I said to the audience, Hey, you know, who's that teacher that made a difference in your life? Everybody stops, tilts their head and can think of that individual who made a difference in their life. And by that extension, they made a difference. They leave a legacy. And so for that perspective, I think they're some of the greatest leaders. Excellent. On, on your own leadership journey, at what point did you first start to feel like you were really stepping up or you were really kind of getting there as a leader? Well, it's funny. I, I'm not sure I ever believe that even today. I think you're always learning. I think my dad, the second thing he told me is learn your job and more. And then the day you think you've made it or the day you think you've reached it, the pinnacle maybe is the day you, everybody just passed you by as you're celebrating. So I don't, truthfully, John, I'm not sure I ever believe I ever have made it or, or gotten there. I believe that, you know, we, we work hard. We have different responsibilities. I used to always say my role as CEO is chief enthusiasm officer. You're out there trying to, you know, keep people pumped up and keep them focused and, and keep them, you know, giving them the vision of what we're trying to accomplish as an organization. But I'm, I'm a team member. I'm a teammate that just has a different responsibility depending on the role I have inside the organization. And as I said, I think we're all leaders. I think sometimes you'll hear a person say, John, well, you know, I don't have anybody report to me. I don't really want to manage other people. So they're an individual contributor. And because of that, they believe they're not a leader. I think it's the opposite. It's the way you conduct yourself. It's the job that you do. You'll notice some of those individual contributors, there's people you know, that could be like the senior statesman inside an organization, you know, someone who's been a, a member of a trade for many years, you know, tool and die maker, who's got 40 years of experience and everybody's walking over to them, asking them information and talking to them about, you know, how, how we've got there as an organization or what are some of the best practices. And by that extension, they may not be the vocal leader that we're all used to seeing, but they are such a, a tremendous informal leader inside the organization, teacher, mentor for so many people. And from that extension, I think they're great leaders. Okay. What do you think has made you unique as a leader? I think the thing that differentiates myself uh, from, from some leaders, I think there are others that are very good at it as well, is the recognition that uh, in the most important asset inside any organization and your most important asset as a leader is your people. Uh, without, without your people, there's nothing you're going to accomplish. And I, I, I don't care how much technology there is. I don't care how cool things are with the handheld devices and how much, you know, like I said, cool technology there is. At the end of the day, it's going to be an individual who execute, executes a brand on behalf of your organization. And so for me, it's still always about people. And I think that I will never take for granted the importance that your people play inside the organization. And so I think that's one of the things that differentiates me. I think the second thing is this concept of balanced leadership. I think um, balance is so important in everything you do. And I think whether it's in life, the way you conduct yourself, uh, the things that you do and how you do them, or in business, decisions that you make. For me in business, I think there's a concept of balanced leadership. I talk a lot about it inside the book. That as you're making your decisions, there's three key constituents that you try to keep you know, in mind as you're making or have a representation as you're making your decision. It's your customers, your people, your share owners and stakeholders. And I always think 
you know, you want your, you, you know, you want to think like a customer, you want your people to feel like valued individuals, but you want to act like an owner in every decision that you make. Would you say that that then is the essence of of balanced leadership, considering the uh, your position as a leader and all the people that are, are involved in it, or are there any other principles that you would add to that? Well, I would think that that's the core principles, and as you're making decisions and you're treating your people and you're and you're managing uh, those individuals, I, I think process is so important because process kind of ties all those things together. And my quick example to you would be. You know, you're at a meeting and somebody brings to you a new product. Uh, of course, the marketing and sales individuals inside your organization, and as you know, in sales and marketing, you can't do anything without at least 160 to 170 page deck, you know, PowerPoint presentation to describe it. So they're going to have a, a fully blown out presentation. It's going to do all kind of great stuff. It's going to have colors and graphics. And, and so it's, it's, it's well done and it makes sense, right? It's a, a product that's needed in the marketplace. And so as, I, as I'm sitting there, I would be thinking, okay, this product belongs in a market. It's good for our portfolio. It makes sense. The CFO, he or she is usually sitting there banging out the calculator and, you know, based on that price point, oh, that's a great product. I think it, it fits in our portfolio. And by the way, we can make some money on it. So now you have the customer represented and you have the share owner stakeholder represented. But then my next question would be, how about our people? Where's our people in this process? And so my next question would be, What's the training? Do our people understand why this product's important? If we have a service disconnect, how do we handle it? Do we give them the authority that goes with the responsibility of handling that disconnect? And so I would want to make sure that all three of those uh, constituents are represented. In this case, maybe our people weren't well represented in the conversation. And so I'd make sure that our people are represented. And then I would always ask this last question, John. And the last question I would ask to the individual making the presentation, I would say, Hey, if this was your candy store, if this was John's candy store, John Ball's candy store, would you write that check? Would you do this? And it's amazing. You know, 80% of the time people are like, oh yeah, absolutely. This is the right thing to do. And so, you know, they have that commitment thing, you know, they're all bought in, but I will tell you about 20% of the time they say no. And you look at them and you're like, wait a second, you want me to do this, but you wouldn't do it. Why would you bring it to me? And they would say to you, well, we're looking for new revenue streams. We're trying to diversify a portfolio, but I wouldn't do it because of this, this, and this. And so I would say, well, if you're not willing to do it, then I'm not willing to do it either. We need to understand, you know, what are the disconnects maybe, what are the things we have to do different. But that all in buy-in, I learned uh, one of my responsibilities inside of UPS is we purchase mailbox, et cetera. It's obviously now rebranded to the UPS store. That was a direct report to me, and I got an opportunity to work with some of the greatest franchisees and entrepreneurs, and I learned so much from them. And that's where I learned this whole concept of being all in. That no one's more or all in than a small business owner. And so, you know, that came about from my understandings and learnings from them. That at the end of the day, you look at someone and say, "Hey, if this was your candy store, would you write the check?" That's great. There's a lot of people around teaching leadership, leadership skills, and, and I tend to encounter many people who are in business or in leadership positions who've never had any kind of leadership training. If there were maybe a top three skills or values or traits that you would want to make sure someone looking to move into leadership roles would, would be working on or looking to have, what do you think they would be? Well, the first thing is, I think that, you know, I always tell people when they ask that question, especially I, I thoroughly enjoy the opportunity speaking at colleges and universities and, and seniors and juniors in high school. And we'll talk about that as they're starting to get out on this journey. And I always tell them, you know, think of the word you want someone to use to describe you at the end of your career. Think of the word you want someone to use to describe you at the end of your career. And so, you know, and you ask the group, you know, what's the word? And they'll come up with some great adjectives, John. You know, they'll come up with words like aggressive, energetic, you know, decisive. Some will say rich, right? They'll say, yeah, you know, successful. Yeah. So for me, the word was always thoughtful. I wanted to be considered a thoughtful leader. And, and the reason why I think that's so important is once you think about what's that word you like on your tombstone, what's the word you'd like to have somebody describe you at the end of your career, well, then you're building that mosaic to that word throughout your career. For me, being a thoughtful leader was I, I considered all the consequences. How about you, John? Do you ever think about that? What's the word you would like to use someone to use to describe you at the end of your career? 
You know, I, I have never thought about that before and I really like the question. So I am thinking about it now. Um, thoughtful sounds nice, Con considered or philosophical also sound good. A integrity would be a nice one for me. Some of the you know, guy had integrity, that would be good too. So I, I'm kind of cool with all, with all of those. <laughs> So that's a that's sort of so that so you can see how that becomes the basis of who you are and it, and yeah. if you think about it, it becomes your brand right I think you know companies spend tremendous time money and energy to build world class brands brands that have a brand promise well as individuals we have a brand as well and for example that brand could be that word that describes you and then as you grow and develop throughout your career you're building that brand promise that you know if your word is integrity. You know, and if I said to someone, hey, I got the opportunity to work for John, what's he like? They're going to describe you. Hey, you know, one thing about John, it's, it's about integrity. Do the thing, you know, do what you say and, and you know, and make sure that you follow through. And it's integrity of not only the obvious, you know, you don't lie, cheat or steal, but it's also integrity of your word. If you're going to tell me you're going to get back to me, you will, those kinds of things. Well, then that becomes your brand and your brand promise. Like a company, the minute you break that brand promise, you lose that credibility. And in many cases, you lose your brand. And you can think of world-class companies, famous companies that may be over 100 years old that have you know, a, a huge problem. And now all of a sudden their brand is damaged and it could take years, generations to get that brand back and that brand promise. So that would be the first thing is, you know, think of that word, think about the brand, think about your personal brand as a person and as a leader. And are you living up to that brand promise? I would say the second thing is that each of us has should take an inventory of three important things. I think people have to do it and companies need to do it. And the first one is who am I? And of course, that word certainly helps support that. What do I stand for? That word supports that. But the third question you ask yourself, John, is the most important one. What won't I compromise? Now think about you if your word's integrity, mine's thoughtful. That no matter what happens, no matter what pressure we're under, you're not going to compromise your integrity. You'd, you're going to take your medicine. You're going to take your lumps. You may take a demotion, but you're not going to violate I don't think you'd ever be demoted. You're too talented, but you know the example, right? You'd rather though, not, you know, you'd rather take your lumps, you know, take the discipline, take the tough conversation than to violate your integrity. You're the kind of guy that doesn't always round up. You present the, the number is the number. You would deliver bad news because you believe that's so important from an integrity point of view. And so I think that number three is the toughest one, right? And if you think about a company, if you and I were working, walking around a company, you know, there's, there's, there's bulletin boards and there's posters all over describing who we are and they do them very nicely. Their graphics are wonderful, right? Who are we? What do we stand for? Number three is the one that gets you in trouble. What won't we compromise? And I will tell you, you'll get challenged on number three. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely interesting and interesting out to be looking at. And you've given, given me and I'm sure everyone listening some, some food for thought there as well. What I'd like to know is what have maybe been some of the biggest challenges for you on your journey to success or whatever you maybe even can tell us what you define as success. Well, I think success is, do you leave things a little better than you found them? Are people better because of their time with you? If you're running a company, are your customers better because of their interaction with you? Uh, so to me, that's that concept of legacy. And I think that's what's so important. It, to me, it's not about, I think what happens is people do an inventory and they count up their cars, their, their houses and, and, and their wealth. And that's their idea of, of you know, success. So for me, success is, you know, did I leave things a little bit better than I found them? Are people better because of the time with me? Was I a good educator? Was I a good trainer, a good mentor, developer of people? You know, are there people who would say, you know, you know, I'm kind of in the line of succession of working for Rocky kind of idea. You know, I think when I retired from UPS after 36 years, the nicest compliment I got was, uh, you know, people saying, hey, I don't, I, people may not have always agreed with you, may not have always been the best day. We've had some difficulties at different times. Uh, but I don't, I don't know of anyone who would say they would never work for you. And to me, that was one of the nicest compliments I received. Now, did I get to the, be the CEO? No, I got to the president's level. Does that mean I wasn't successful? I don't, I don't believe so. I, I retired from UPS and, and became a CEO. 
but, but I don't count my time at UPS as unsuccessful because I never got to that top level job. It, it, you know what? I did the best job I could. I started out, hey, like as I told you, John, I started out to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. Everything from that time forward was, you know, just a great learning and an opportunity to do more things. It's all a bonus from there. Yeah, right. Fantastic. What perhaps you can share with us one of your one of your challenges that you had to overcome on your path on your journey. Well, I think you know one of the challenges I think that we all have as leaders, and I think it's one that you always have to kind of double check yourself on is don't allow your strengths to become your weakness. And if you think about think about small business owners, you know I learned so much from them. I have such great respect for small business owners. What's the strength of a small business owner? No one's more, you know, no one's more dedicated. No one's more all in, right? Because it's they take they've taken everything they ever owned in life and sit it across the table, and so they're all in, right? They're so involved in their business. They know their business better than anybody else does. They're tireless. They work their business. What's the what's the weakness of a small business owner? No one knows their business better than they do. They work their business every day. They're tireless, right? And so they're so committed. And so if you're not careful, your strength becomes your weakness. For me, it was always that double check. What one of my strengths are, you know, I'm energetic, I'm enthusiastic, I love to be involved. What's my weakness? I'm energetic, I'm enthusiastic, I love to be involved. If you're not careful, you start to run over people, right? You start to get to you start to get to that spot quick. People, you know, you're excited, someone brings you an idea, you're all excited, you can't wait. Let's do, let's go, let's let's get this going. And then you, you, you look back and you've kind of run so fast ahead of the group that you've lost some people behind you. And so I've always had to double check myself to make sure that, you know, don't, don't get too far ahead of yourself, but don't allow your strength to become your weakness. Well, have there been times in business where that uh, has become a problem? And when it did, what did you do to correct your course? Well, the first thing you have to do, is, well, yes, it has. And, and secondly, I think you have to, you know, you have to set that tone from the top that you're open to constructive criticism, you know? And so for me, it would be one of those comments what people used to always say to me, I, I go out and run in the morning and I start thinking of all these new ideas and new things to do. And I'm so pumped up and energetic and, you know, and every now and then, you know, John, you'd walk in my office, close the door, said, Hey rock, what's going on? Hey John, how you doing? What's happening? Hey, you know, at some point you can't keep coming up with all these ideas. I think it's great. Everybody's excited, but one day we're going here, one day we're going there. We got this new idea over here. You're just wearing down the people with all these new ideas and all they're excited with you. They want to participate with you. At some point you just can't keep coming up with new ideas. And that's that whole, that's how that whole concept of balance started. Wait a second. Am I really here in balance? If every day we have a new idea or every day we got a new exciting project at some point you just wear your people down. Right. And if you, if, if you create that climate, you know, where it's, it's value that you're an early adopter. If you're not careful, the early adopters just keep running out with you, right? At some point you just wear them down. It's like, wait a second here. We're just, so I think that for me, it was that concept of my strength was my energy and my enthusiasm, my creativity. My weakness was my energy, my enthusiasm, my creativity. And so early on, I realized I had to let people know that it was okay to disagree. Yeah. You could be dis in my world. You could disagree. You just can't be disagreeable. And I think that that was important because that was my double check. Then wait a second. I'm excited about all these new projects we're doing, but I'm I'm kind of wearing everybody down, and I'm confusing them a little bit because, you know, we keep going in you know not so much in different directions. We just keep adding to it. So that, I think, and it was important for me to let them know. I don't view it as disloyal. I don't view it as you being disagreeable. I view it as you're you're making sure that I understand what's going on and that's important. So I can kind of double check myself. Excellent. Well, you have a really nice and warm communication style. Is that something that has come naturally to you or something that you've spent time working on? I would say it's natural for me in a one-on-one -on -one setting like this or in small groups. Uh, it's funny. I'm a keynote speaker. I've given some uh, speeches in front of some very large groups around the world. Uh, and that's one of the things I, I had to work on is the keynote speaking and the, you know, public speaking. I was, and so for me, I got around the public speaking or I learned to be a good public speaker uh, by utilizing my strengths of being more one-on-one. -on -one. So as I'm giving that public speaking or I'm giving that keynote speech, I'm looking around the room and I'm, I'm actually connecting with faces. 
And so then I, I start to visualize this one-on-one -on -one conversation that you and I are having today, John. This is just a conversation you and I are having. If this was a group of five, six, seven hundred people, I would be looking for the Johns out there or the Marys out there. And I'd get your nodding and approval that you're agreeing with what I'm talking about. And that keeps me moving on. So I just take the large audience and, and kind of bring it down to that one-on-one -on -one conversation, which I'm much more comfortable with. Uh, so I think yeah. that that's what's so important. The other thing is I never, you know, one of the mistakes I think leaders make, and, and so I'm certainly not perfect and I make my mistakes, but one of, the, uh, one of the other things I would say is that it's never about you as the leader. It's always about your people. It's never about you as the keynote speaker. It's about your audience. And, th and when you think, when you make it about yourself is when you start to lose people, whether, whether when they're in your care. I mean, I never say people work for me where I manage them, they're in my care. I mean, you know, it's, as an organization, the people inside your organization should be in your care. It's how, it's how you treat them with dignity and respect. It's, it's the way you communicate with them so they have the vision of what you're trying to accomplish as an organization. And so it's the same. In, so the day that the, the leaders start to think it's about them and not about their people is when they start to lose their people. And I think it's the same for me as when I give a keynote or I'm doing a training workshop. It's not about me. It's not about all the things I've done. In fact, I wrote my book in a third person because I don't like that feeling of saying, well, John, I would do this, or I think you should do that. I wrote it in this third person, a person who many, many years ago, you know, kind of was developed in the course of a conversation. His name was Joe Scafone, you know, and I remember when people would bring me a new idea and, and I would say, well, that's a good idea. And I was trying to, you know, I was trying to get them to maybe not stop at the first right answer to press forward to see if there's other solutions to the same problem. But I never liked that feeling of saying, well, that's a good idea, John, but what if? And I always felt the but what if you, you gave me that look like, I don't think you think it's a good idea or maybe you don't think I, I thought it all the way through. And that wasn't my intention at all. And so I, this, this character was developed. His name is Joe Scafone. I'd say, hey, John, that's a great idea. But you think Joe Scafone thinks that's a good idea? You think Joe Scafone would do it that way? And so you and I would laugh and that was my way of maybe kind of, you know, motivating you past that first right answer and, and see if there's another way to do it. And maybe there isn't. And then we, we kind of smile and laugh and say, no, nah, I think Joe would think it's a good idea. Later on in my career, when people would come to a meeting, they would say to me, hey, I already covered this with Joe. Joe thinks it's a good idea. Said, oh, that's good. <laughs> maybe, I could, maybe I could take a look at it. So I think, so the book is written in this third person, Joe Scafone, because it's much easier to talk about lessons that, I, that I've learned or, or some of the things that think that people helped me with, or some of the things, lessons that I taught along the way, it was easier for me to do it in a third person than do it in, in a first person. One of the things that I see come up as challenges for many people, not just in the area of leadership, but in, in just about all life areas, is the difference between the growth mindset and the fixed mindset, as uh, Dr. Carol Dweck talks about in her book about uh, people thinking that any kind of negative feedback or criticism takes away from them rather than perhaps looking at the those sorts of things as an opportunity for for growth and development you, you certainly seem to have a very uh, naturally directed growth mindset do you find that uh, you encounter a lot of fixed mindset and and what has been the uh, outcomes or, or the challenges of that when you have well, I think the biggest thing that I, that I learned about myself is the biggest thing I know is what I don't know. And so because of that, I never felt like it was a, it was a lack of confidence when I would ask for help or when I would seek to have individuals inside my, inside our organization that had those skill sets to me it was more, it was important to make them part of the process or make them part of the solution. And it didn't mean that I wasn't a good CEO or I wasn't a good leader. It just meant that I recognized my strengths and the strengths of those inside my organization and made sure that collectively we made those best decisions. I think sometimes people believe that when they're asking for help, it's a sign of weakness. I think it's the opposite. When you ask for help or you seek the advice of those key members inside your organization, it's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of confidence. It's a sign of strength. And I think that's a mistake. And when you don't have that confidence to ask for that help or that 
interaction or that's those suggestions. I think what happens then is you close off that wall. No one's ever going to bring you any ideas if they think your answer is going to be no. You have to show people that A, you're user-friendly and B, you're open to these ideas. Great. So you've done quite a lot of public speaking, right? Would that be fair yes, to sir. say? Uh, yeah. So how important has that been generally to you in, in life and, and in career? Well, as I said before, I mean, if you, uh, if you had a collection of all the, all the people I went to high school, probably the last person they say that would be a public speaker would probably be me. And, uh, but I recognized early on that communication was one of the most important skills uh, as a teacher and as a leader. Now, obviously, in the teacher, it's, it's in a more controlled environment inside a classroom. But there's no way as a teacher you were going to sit there and not communicate with your students and help them connect the dots and see those light bulbs go off over their head, which is probably the most, uh, you know, rewarding part of being a teacher. Uh, so for me inside of business, you know, I was comfortable with, with, with the smaller groups and the one-on-one, -on -one, but I knew I if I was going to be an effective leader, if I was going to take on this path of being a successful leader, then I needed to be, be able to do it in a more public setting in a larger group setting. And so I worked at it. I worked at, the different things that made me comfortable, watching other people do it, speaking to people who I thought were very, very good, you know, public speakers. And, you know, you know, what are some of the things that you do? What are some of your traits? I think most people you talk to who do public speaking or do keynote speaking or doing in large audiences all say the vast majority say the same thing. It's still something that they always are working on, whether it's their style, whether it's their approach. And I think that's what's so important for me personally, what helps me is I do my homework as well. So if John, you signed me up for a speaking public speaking engagement uh, and I, and I've done speaking in not, you know, not just logistics or supply chain or leadership. I've, I've done it in front of groups for, you know, not the not international dental lab associates. I mean, so, you know, and what I did though is to get myself comfortable and, and to be more relevant to them is every keynote that I do, I talk to the, the planners and the, and the organizers and say, can you give me four or five individuals that I can go speak with? So I went to some dental labs. I got a chance to meet with the, the small business owners that, that own and run dental labs. And so I try to get out there. I'm signed for a Napa Auto Parts International Convention in April of 2020. Uh, I'm going to go out and visit some Napa Auto Parts stores, some different distributors and different members that are going to be there because now it becomes relative. And I, I also think it's important, A, it gives me some confidence because I understand their business a little bit better. I clearly don't understand it as well as they do. But I think people respect the fact that you're willing to take the time to learn their business. So that's yeah, how I get over some of the speaking too. Great. I, I wanted to ask you how, you how you went about preparing for a keynote. I think you've uh, pretty much answered that. Um, <laughs> what what do you think? No, it's good. What do you think makes, uh, makes a great keynote presentation? For me, I think what makes a great keynote presentation is what happens six months from now. So I think when people always say to me, you know, how'd your keynote go? I always say, well, you know, it went well today, but the success of this keynote is, is six months from now, does somebody stop and have that aha moment? Oh, wait a second. We, you know, Rocky talked about this or we spoke about this at the last conference or convention. It's, it's no different than learning, right? It was, it was when we graduate school, we, we always think about the things that we learned that year. And we're like, oh, well, how am I going to use this? Am I ever going to be able to use this, this, and this? And, and today when you're sitting there doing math or you're, or you're talking, you know, or some of the history lessons you learned along the way or some of the different aspects, some of the people you learned along the way or met along the way or the conversations you have, that's the growth. That's what makes you a lifelong, you know, lifelong learner. And so for me, I want to create these aha moments. So A, I want to entertain you and educate you during the keynote, but the success of the keynote is six months from now. You know, it's funny, I get emails all the time from people. In fact, I just got one yesterday from a gentleman who was at a keynote about nine months ago. And he says, hey, I'm just letting you know all lug nuts are tightened. I'm Fantastic. in a good place right now. And so to me, you know, that, that makes it a good keynote because all during the year he had those moments where he thought about what we spoke about on that audience together in that audience and on that stage together. And so that's, that's what would be to me the real success of my keynotes is, is that I get these conversations later on that, Hey, thought about it, tried this, 
you know, and now of course the book is called Tighten the Lug Nuts. I always get people calling me Mr. Lug Nuts. Hey, no loose lug nuts here. <laughs> so it, it's, for me, it's a fun thing. You mentioned about doing, doing your homework for a presentation, definitely very important. Where do you think, I mean, I'm sure you've seen some pretty bad keynotes as well, I certainly have over the years. Where do you think people sometimes go wrong that they kind of general mistakes that people should perhaps look out for or, or do their best to avoid? So think about it from this perspective. You and I were talking about before I was telling you one of the things that you need to be careful of as a key, as a leader is don't make it about yourself. Right. So if you think about some of the keynotes that we've gone to and, you know, they may be great stories or they may be almost like, you know, very entertaining, but you walk away and you're thinking, I can't use any of this stuff. That's number one. Number two is you always wonder, can this person run water downhill? Have they ever done anything? <laughs> you know, have they ever had those nights where they drove home at night wondering, hey, am I going to have a job tomorrow? I mean, am I in, because things, nothing, things don't always go the way you want them to go, right? You have a great plan, a great vision, and then you have these unintended consequences that may happen. And how do you handle those? So for me, uh, to me, as I sat in the audience, the keynote speaker who showed me that they were real, that they had those, you know, difficult days, how they handled, you know, how they got through some difficulties and how they, you know, maybe brought, maybe brought their organization from point A to point B. You know, for example, if I'm doing a conference on why values matter or a conference on balanced leadership, I'm using real life examples of difficulties. Everybody wants to talk about the successes, but you know what? not every day is going to be a home run, right? You know, you go peaks and valleys. And so for me, I think the mistake is, A, they talk about themselves too much, and B, it's, it's always about the great successes. But, but those, those, are, you know, those aren't every single day, and how did you handle the difficulties? Do you have a, a strategy for how you create the content that you put into, uh, into your talks? Yeah, part of it is is obviously the base concepts of whether it's why values matters, balanced leadership, you know, having difficult conversations. What I always try to start with the conference uh, planners and ask them, you know, what are you trying to accomplish from your conference, so that I can then start to support what the vision of the conference is, and then I go out and visit, you know, the participants. If it they're, if they're small business owners, uh, in for example. Uh, there's one conference that I, I do, I know, you know, some breakout sessions for keynotes and, you know, their, their association of individuals that sell, you know, cleaning supplies, small business owners. That's, so I'll go out and visit them and talk to them about their client, their customer base, what's different in their business today. I find in a lot of small businesses, succession planning is probably their biggest concern. You know, we're a third generation business, not really quite sure junior wants to take over the business going forward. So now, are we, going, are we going to be a fourth generation business? Are we going to sell to a larger organization? Are we going to close the business after three generations? What's the future look like for us? And so if, if, the, if the general group of individuals out there are feeling that, well, then you start to, you know, when you're talking about people, you know, then you're talking about succession planning a little bit more. If you're talking about an organization that does a lot of, uh, complicated things and maybe you're talking about the skills in engineering if you're talking about construction you may be talking about safety as a core value and why safety is so important why i feel valued as an individual in your organization because you know we won't compromise on safety you know those are the kinds of things as you start to learn the organization so for me it starts with the planners and what they're trying to accomplish in their conference then I, then I try to move to the individuals that are going to attend the conference and what keeps them up awake at night, you know, and then I, then I start to build, build around the core concepts of my, of my keynote, but, but kind of build it around my conversations with uh, the planners as well as the individuals. And then I always think you got to be entertained. I mean, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, hour, uh, you got to be entertained. And then for me, the last thing, I always like to leave time for questions. I'm very open to questions. I, uh, I don't like scripted things when it comes to those kinds of things. And so for me, that's my indication that I do a good job. If I'm getting a lot of questions, that means people are engaged. If you don't get a lot of questions, you're wondering, did I connect with them? Do they feel comfortable enough to ask me questions? And so I always like to leave, uh, you know, you know, about 10 minutes at the end for questions because I, I want to get that feedback that you 
enjoyed it and there's relevant. And then I, then I also don't, I also hang around. I don't, I'm not the kind of guy that rolls in with a wheelie bag, does my 45 minutes to an hour and leaves. I generally get there the day before I try to go to the welcoming dinner, try to hang around the day after, you know, the next day. And at least that way, if you have any questions, John, for example, that I'm open, I'm there, I'm available for you to have those conversations with. That's great to hear. So people always want the uh, ability to be able to to connect and and relate on uh, on a deeper level these days, and it seems that you're definitely giving them that opportunity. I, I have a, a belief that in these times that the public speaking presentation work isn't just a, a nice to have it it's really become an essential in the world of of business and leadership what what do you feel about that i feel these great opportunities for you to kind of take yourself out of because think about that whole concept your strengths and weakness you know you're working your job day to day your head's down you're chopping wood you're trying to do the best job you can you're working through the difficulties on the day to day and so the opportunity to leave for a few days, interact with some peers and some other individuals, other professionals and inside your field or, you know, I think is so important. I think what happens though is you leave there knowing behind you is so much work that still is yet to be done. And so it's difficult, right? There's how many times you see a conference that you'd like to attend but you know, leaving work for two or three days or leaving your family for two or three days may be difficult. And so you're trying to balance those two things, but you make the decision to go. Once you make that decision to go, I think it's incumbent upon the planners and myself and others as keynote speakers or individuals that are doing breakout sessions to really nail it because you know, you made a sacrifice. You, you know, you left something, there's still emails happening behind you at work. There's still things that need to get done that you're not there doing and someone else is doing them on your behalf. Or you're going to be away from your family for two or three days. You really want to go there and feel fulfilled. You want to feel good about the fact that, okay, I made this decision to be here, you know, sacrifice not being home with my family. You know, there's some things that I still need to take care of at work that I'm at night doing emails in in my, you know, hotel room but i'm i'm feeling good about the fact that i'm learning something i had a few aha moments I, I, i'm tilting my head thinking about things a little bit differently that then that's the then it's all worth it but if you leave there and you think to yourself oh, this was a nice conference nice nice hotel but i gotta tell you I, there's nothing more you know i didn't really kind of walk away from here thinking about things differently then you wonder that i make the right decision to you know to to leave the job for two or three days or my family for two or three days. Have you ever had any strange or unusual experiences in your, uh, in your speaking events? No, not really. I've been fortunate. So no, no, you know, no lights going out, no uh, lost power, none of those kind of things. So, so far, uh, so far I've been pretty good and I've been doing it for many, many years during my tenure at UPS. And then later on as a CEO, as you can imagine, and then we were a publicly traded company. So I'm doing the investor calls and, you know, investor meetings and stuff. So no, fortunately, so uh, I don't want to jinx myself here, but fortunately, no, it's, it's been good. So, so that's, that's very fortunate indeed. I've had some uh, some quite unusual ones this time, one, one time even getting flooded out of an event. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's very strange. So uh, t- tell us what, what goes on, what would be going on behind stage just before you go out to speak? Well, for me, so I, I generally, as I said before, I try to get there the day before. And so, and I, and, you know, I've, I've attended or visited two or three or talked to two or three different, you know, uh, individuals who are attending the conference, visited their place of business or got their thoughts on. And so I generally try to seek them out. And they're usually the last people I'll, I'll attempt to or try to see before I go out on stage so that I'm current with them they're excited because they think, you know, they know the keynote speaker and, you know, I, I think that's important as well. I generally try to do that. And then I try to mingle around in the morning so that people see me. And so they feel like they've made the connection, right? That's the biggest thing when you're sitting in that large audience and you're, you know, getting prepared to listen to that keynote speaker. There's a, there's a big difference. There's a big, you know, kind of disconnect, right? You're, you're in the audience where you're sitting, it's kind of dark the stage is up there and it seems like there's like uh, the grand Canyon between you and the speaker. And so for me, I try to bridge that gap by being there, having coffee in the morning, walking around, seeing everybody shaking their hand, talking to them a little bit. So it's kind of my way of breaking down that barrier 
of the of me being on stage and them being in the audience. And then I generally, if I can, when I when I do answer questions, I walk I walk around the audience. I try to be as you know try to have that kind of one on one relationship as best I can. So I'm always trying to get closer to that one on one feeling than I am the large audience feeling. If, if that if that do you use stories in your in your talks and your presentations? Oh, absolutely. There's not a, the book is every chapter has its own story. And of course, inside of all my presentations or stories, I'm a, you know, uh, I'm a big believer that if you can get people to uh, connect the, the dots and sometimes the best way to do it is stories and humor and uh, the ability for them to connect and is by using real life examples. And so, yes, absolutely. Can, can you share one of your favorite stories? Yeah, so one of my favorite stories is, uh, and I think it's an interesting one. So years ago when I, we were traveling around the country and I was out uh, many, many times and, you know, traveling all the time. I'm home one night and Debbie says to me, hey, you know, uh, we have four children, uh, Jean Marie, Nicole, Rocky, and then Andrew's my youngest. And, and so he's struggling with math. And so Debbie says, hey, you know, uh, we're, we're having a little, we're working through some math here. And I'm thinking, well, you know what, I'm home. I'm also, let's jump in here. She goes, you want, you want to jump in and help out? You know, dad, I said, all right. So I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm not the greatest math, but uh, you know, you do ROIC, you do, you know, you got investments you're doing all the time. You're thinking about, you know, your P&Ls. And so I said, come on, I can help out. So he's struggling with greater than and less than at this time. And so I said, and he was a hockey player at those, in those days. so I said, Andrew, let's talk about greater than and less than. And so I got three hockey pucks here, four hockey pucks there. I said, Andrew, you know, thinking, okay, I got three is less than four. So he says, to, I go, what do we have here? He goes, oh, you got seven hockey pucks. I go, all right, this isn't working. So then I took out a piece of paper and I drew the greater than and less than sign. And I said, Andrew, what does this mean? He said, fast forward and reverse. And if you think about it, right, these kids, I, and, I, and, and for me, the significant event in, was that I knew that the generation I was going to have to manage someday was going to be technology driven. And for them, technology was going to be just, you know, routine. And, and I was struggling with technology. I had been a UPS driver on paper. Now, I, you know, today, we, everything you do is with a handheld, and we were moving through that transition in those days, and I was struggling with it. I'm from New Jersey, and if you know anything about Jersey, everybody in Jersey's got a guy. So, hey, get me the technology guy. Get me the guy that can help me with this. Well, I started to realize from that example what Andrew was, I was going to have to be the guy. If I was going to be the leader that was going to lead this new generation of people, I was going to have to understand technology and start to – you know, my examples were going to have to be more technology driven than maybe sports driven or whatever. And so that was my significant event that said to me, you know what, the, the people we're going to manage are different or, you know, they're, they're more prepared than we are in technology. And I, if I was going to be that leader that can relate to them, I was going to have to understand technology and I was going to have to be able to lead them in such a way that they saw that I took the time to understand technology. But that's one of my, uh, that, that's one of my favorite stories. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that with us. And so stories, I think, are really powerful in terms of being able to influence and persuade, as you've mentioned. Yeah. And you've also talked about coaching and, and leadership as in terms of how you use them to influence. What other aspects of influence would you consider to be important or that need to be considered to be an effective leader or influencer? Well, I think you have to, do, you know, I always believe that you have to show people that you're willing to do the things, you know, to be that out front leader. Uh, and I think that part of it is your ability to learn. So for me, for example, you know, when we, in those early days of UPS, before you could become a full-time supervisor or a manager, you had to be a driver. And I was part-time for four years, working my way through college, and then I became a UPS driver. Uh, I love driving. I love the people I met along the way. But the valuable lesson there that I learned, and if I and it, and it helped me throughout my whole career, was that I learned a job from the from the bottom up. I I became a driver, which was a core core of our business. And so, interestingly enough, and I valued that time, and I loved the opportunity to know the job from that grassroots level. Well, I one of the differences in my UPS career 
compared to most UPS is I did many of the non-traditional things at UPS. So for example, as I said before, we purchased mailbox, et cetera, and we branded to the UPS store. I didn't know anything about franchising. So the first thing I did was go out and work a day in the store. And I realized now there's no way I was ever going to be as proficient as that store owner, but I wanted to try to a show them the respect of trying to learn the job and, and also trying to get out there and try to understand what happens on a day-to-day basis out in, in the store, for example. And that's when I, you know, started to understand being an entrepreneur, although I've never been an entrepreneur the way they had, or I, that's why I have such great respect for, for them. I mean, they're, they're taking everything they own in life and sliding it across the table. I and mean, we have you, you know, in, in, inside of businesses, you'll have P&L responsibilities. Nobody has more, more all in than a small business owner. Cause at the end of the day, they hit the cash register, the door opens, they pay their people, they pay their vendors. What's left is what they pay their people. And that's a complete, you know, all in scenario. And for that, I have great respect for an entrepreneur. And so the ability to learn those things comes from that lesson I learned by going out and being a driver. You know, I, you know, we purchased about 20, over 20 companies and built UPS supply chain solutions. Now, once I did the integrations of those companies, we, I ran the, you know, the side of the world for UPS, US, Latin America, South America, Canada, Mexico. Uh, one of, the first, one of the earliest things I did was go out and pick an order. Hey, show me how the orders drop. How do we pick the orders? You know, how do we do these different things? Uh, and so for me, that's the, the, the lesson f- for trying to be an influencer, t- trying to lead not from the front, but lead from the rear. How do I understand the business? And, and I'll tell you, look, people recognize that I don't know that, that job the way they do. And I recognize that I don't have their their experience and their skill set. But I, but I want to show you that I have the respect for what you do and I understand how important what you do is on behalf of our organization. And so before I attempt to sit there in some office and bark out orders, I, I want to get it. I want to try to learn it. And I think the second thing is you got to, you know, there's a famous Neil Diamond song, I Am, I Said. You know, and so if you think about that song, the, the title of that song, I Am, I Said, you know, do I do the things I say I'm going to do? Do I walk the talk? Do I get out there? Do I, you know, do I talk, you know, if I'm a good communicator, then I should be out there communicating with our people. I think the reason why people, John, don't leave their office is because there's no problems in their office. The minute you walk outside, you see things that need to be fixed. There were people that uh, approach you, right? So if I, don't never, if I never want to hear bad news, I never leave my office. Well, that's the, wor- that's the worst thing you can do. And so I think those are just a couple of examples of, I think, how you can be an influencer. Get out there and learn the job. I could never be undercover boss. I could never be on that TV show. <laughs> I like that. So everyone would know who you are already. Uh, I've always had that management philosophy in, in all the management roles I've ever had in my life of, of never never asking or expecting anyone to do anything that I, that I wouldn't do, wouldn't be prepared to do myself and hopefully would know how to do myself as well. So, so I really like what you're saying there as well. You, you've mentioned a few times about education and, and keeping yourself educated what what do you do to continue your own education and growth well for me you know now that that mean obviously you can tell with now I'm over 40 years of business experience that so you know for me I, I think that the, for me my education and training now is is when I get out and do these keynote speaking or the leadership training or some of the consulting we're doing, I'm interacting with some wonderful people and I'm learning from them all the time. I mean, you think about some of these conferences that I speak at by going a little bit earlier and saying a little bit later, not, I meet some wonderful people who are training and helping me and educating me on current events, what's going on in business today. What are some of the things that they're seeing, but there's also other speakers that are there as well. And so why not get a listen and, and, and learn from them and learn some of the things that they're talking about. So I think some of the conferences that you go to some of the books that you read, there's some, you know, I think, you know, obviously, you know, tighten the lug nuts is a book I wrote, but there's some great books out there. I've read many great books. I also think there's some lessons that I think, unfortunately, people miss in the day-to-day interactions they have with just some wonderful, genuine people. I tell people all the time, some of the best lessons I learned are from the books I read my children or my children read growing up. There's this one book in particular called Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. And it's interesting because you have a bus driver, you have the people on the bus and you got the pigeon, right? And so the bus driver says to the people on the bus, hey, I'm leaving for a minute, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. And of course the pigeon comes on the bus, 
and he wants to drive the bus. He's explaining to you why he should be the bus driver. I'm all ready to drive the bus. I'm prepared to drive the bus. And so you have those three individuals. And I tell people all the time, it's a great story. It's a cute story. But as you know, all of us are all three at one time or another. In one given day, you could be all three. You could be the pigeon. You could be the bus driver. You know, you could be the people on the bus. And I would say to them, for example, as CEO, you all think I'm the bus driver. Until the day I'm on the investor call and, uh, and the investors are asking me questions and the board's asking me questions. Well, now I'm the pigeon. Hey, come on. Give me a break. I want to run, run the bus. Let me run the bus, right? So I'm, I'm the pigeon on the day that I'm on the investor call. But then when I get off the investor call, I'm on the bus maybe with the board and we're talking about the things that we're going to do on behalf of the company and behalf of the shareholders. And then when I'm the CEO that day running the company on that same day, I'm the bus driver. So I think that that understanding that you're going to be all three individuals at some point in your career, and in many cases, in a day, you could be two of those different people, then I think allows you to take that step back and say, wait a second, you know, how did I feel when I was the bus driver? Did I like the fact that nobody on the bus was listening to me? And now that I'm on the bus, how am I treating the people below me and above me inside the organization? I think that's what's so important. But those are lessons that you learn from, you know, Dr. Seuss books or, you know, it's the children's books you read or the wonderful people you meet along the way that are, you know, I, I, I will, I'll tell you the greatest less management lesson that I've learned in my adult life, in my childhood, my dad was such a huge influence in my adult life. It's my wife, Debbie. She has had such great influence on me and such a great friend and partner. And I'll, I'll give you the, the leadership story she, she taught me. So we go out to dinner one night. We met this couple and we went out to dinner and she's very friendly, as I told you. So, you know, whatever, you know, she's always making friends. And so we go out to dinner and the woman says to Debbie, I have four kids. Who's your favorite? And so I'm thinking, I've never heard anybody really ask her that question. So I got to take a step back. I want to hear how she answers this one. Is it Jean Bray, Rocky? Is it Nicole, Andrew? Who is it? I wonder. So she says, well, I have no favorites. They're all my favorite. The woman says, come on, really? It's got to be one of them. And she goes, no, they're all my favorites. They all feel like they're the favorite. So, she's, so the woman says to her, well, how, how could that be? She said, because each of them gets what they need when they need it. Now think about that, John. Each of them gets what they need when they need it. And I thought that's so thoughtful. That's so insightful. And she said, because of that, they're each getting what they need when they need it. They think they're the favorite because they're getting what they need. And from that moment forward, that's how I managed. I thought to myself, okay, I have a CFO. He or she is, is uh, very skilled, very experienced. They don't need me over managing them. So they're, I need to just be the cheerleader behind it. You got this. Yeah, go fly. You got this. Whatever help you need, let me know. But I'm here for you. But go do your job. Well, they think they're the favorite because they don't get overmanaged. Now I have a, a you know, maybe a director of sales. He or she's brand new. They're struggling to get some sales. And I say to them, hey, I, you know, if you need me, I'll go out with you on a sale. I'll help close that deal. So they think they're the favorite because they're getting my time, right? Rocky spends time with me, helps me close the deal. So, it, so to me, that was the greatest lesson. From that moment forward, that's how I managed all my organizations. And no matter how large or small they were, each person gets what they need when they need it. And that therefore they feel like they're the favorite. And if you think about that as you're managing a small business or you're managing, you know, whatever your, your span of control is inside your organization that you're managing, you know, think about even if you're an individual contributor and you're managing a portfolio of customers, each customer should get what they need when they need it. Therefore they feel like they're the favorite. And that to me was my greatest adult lesson that I learned from my wife in a course of a conversation. That's fantastic. I love those metaphors and uh, I think I'm going to be looking out for the book about pigeons driving buses. <laughs> I really oh, yeah. like that. Um, don't, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that very much. Thank you. Uh, so there's a lot of books, a lot of books behind you as well. What's, what's the last good book you read on leadership or business or anything related? So a couple of good books that I love, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of a legendary basketball coach at UCLA, Coach John Wooden, has some great books. There's about, I think there's five of them now. I had the opportunity uh, to meet Coach Wooden. In fact, if, if you go to my website, uh, www.number3in-the-word60managementservices.com, uh, under my videos, there's a media section. But I actually have the interview 
from from 2000 it was it was 2000 when I had the interview with Coach Wood, and it's a great interview. He was a, a professional, a gentleman, and just a great coach, winning coach uh, in, in uh, college basketball. Uh, so for me, I've read all the Wooden books. Uh, there's another great book by a gentleman by the name of Dennis Snow, and it's called Lessons from the Mouse, and it's about his time at Disney and some of the things that Disney does, and you see how engineered Disney is, and that's a great book as well. So those were kind of my two favorite uh, books is the Wooden Books and then the, uh, Dennis Snow's Legend from the Mouse. Those are good. Those are two very good books right there. Excellent. And of course, we want to encourage people to check out your own book, Titan the Lug Nuts. What are they going to learn from reading your book? I think they're going to learn uh, that we're all leaders at one time or another. And leadership are those qualities such as treating people with dignity and respect. Simple acts of kindness are important. And then and then as you as you grow and develop as a leader, it's the process that you use. It's, it's allowing your individuality to come out within the confines of a process that's helping you manage and, and lead. And of course, to learn the central lesson of the book, Tighten the Lug Nuts. And I won't tell you the whole story because there's a chapter based on the story. But in summary, though, when, you, when the lug nuts are loose, they're important. But if you don't tighten them, and the wheels fall off, they become urgent. And in, in life and in business, you can only handle so many urgent things. So don't allow important things like loose lug nuts when they're at that moment to become urgent when you don't tighten them and the wheels fall off. So don't allow important things to become ur urgent. Tighten the lug nuts. And that's why people say to me all the time, I got no loose lug nuts. I took care of the things I needed to take care of. And, and you think about it, John, you know, it's that email you know, that you get sent that you could take care of right then and there, but you don't. And now a week and a half goes by and now it becomes this giant problem that now we stop everything. We, we've got to go student body left, student body right. We've got to go take care of that one problem. And then how often do you hear people say, oh, I got no luck. Nothing ever goes my way. I just got taken off a plan. And you think to yourself, you could have just tightened the lug nut back there. And so the, so the message is don't let important things become urgent. Tighten your lug nuts. Fantastic. Is, is there a question you would have liked to have been asked today that I haven't asked you? Uh, I, I will say generally uh, no, because the one question that when I do get asked that occasionally is, is, you know, the whole concept of what's the word you would use. And I, I like to talk about your legacy and we talked about legacy. So for me, that would probably have been the question, you know, legacy is such an important thing. And I think that, that's really the kind of, uh, you know, sort of the history that you write about yourself. That's so important. I think that, and when you think about it from that perspective, it really, you start to become a much more thoughtful leader, uh, a leader that does things, you know, in a more deliberate way, you know, understanding that it's your legacy that you're working on. So I would think uh, we covered a lot today, John, and you're a very prepared, very thoughtful interviewer. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. I think you made my life very easy for me and you've told us some wonderful stories and given us some great insights as well. Where, where can people go to find out more about you? Well, our website is www. It's the number three and the word 60, S-I-X-T-Y, managementservices.com. We just updated the website, uh, got some great feedback from people, so it's much more interactive. I would, the, the one thing I got from the website, you know, inter, uh, update was people say to me, Hey, you know, you're, you know, you have a lot of energy. I love listening to your keynotes, uh, but your website is sort of static. And so we kind of updated it, you know, to be m much more energetic, uh, less static, very interactive. There's the car. That's the cover of the book is kind of moving around there and there's lug nuts all over the place. So it's a, it's really uh, tried to be more fun, more entertaining, but very educational so there's a lot of videos there there's over 40 videos of different conferences but lessons and things like that and i load up all the podcasts our podcast will be on on the website uh, i'm not a podcaster uh i'm inter i get interviewed quite a bit and so uh our podcast uh, you and i today will be on there and i'll promote it because i think uh, i think it's important there's, because each podcast interviewer ask different questions in a different way. And so I think there's some good education there. So there's a lot of podcasts on there and people can listen to ours today. Uh, you can get the book. It's on Amazon. I'm self-published. So it's on Amazon and it's on uh, barnesandnoble.com. And one of the last things I will tell you is, uh, so in my conversation with legendary coach Wooden, uh, one of the things I asked him at the end of the interview was, Hey coach, you know, obviously I spent four hours with you. You're helping me as part of a, uh, 
part of a conference that I was uh, participating in and he was going to be a, a, a speaker from a distance, you know, you know, what's your fee? And he looked at me and he said, there is no fee. He said, you know, you asked me to help you out. I don't mind helping you out at all. I said, oh, coach, that's really nice. But, you know, we certainly like to do something. He said, well, look, he said, you know, Jimmy Valvano at that time had just passed away from, from cancer and had given the speech, the legendary speech. And so he said, would you be willing to give to the Jimmy Valvano fund to help find the cure for cancer? And I said, absolutely. And so I think it's now 25 years since that speech and since, you know, coach Valvano, uh, went through that difficult time and passed away. And so for every book sold in 2019 uh, of Tighten the Lug Nuts, we're donating a dollar to the Jimmy Valvano Fund. And so I was so touched by Coach Wooden's humble, professional, and caring approach to things that I always thought, uh, why not? And so each year we pick, uh, we pick a, you know, some organization to support this year. It's been the Valvano Fund. Next year we're, we're, we're thinking about who, who would we like to donate to for every purchase of the books? I feel like, you know, hopefully the book will give you some inspiration and some insights, but maybe through that inspiration insight working together, we can also help some other causes around the world. Well, I certainly think it's going to be worth anyone's time to find out more about you and to check out your book as well. And I want to thank you personally for being so generous with your time and, and giving yourself yourself here and sharing your insights and your stories. It's been really wonderful. It's been a great podcasting experience for me. And uh, so thank you sincerely. Oh, John, my pleasure. And if, uh, if you need anything, if your audience has any questions that you get through your, through your communication or, or if they want to email me uh, at Rocky Romanell at gmail.com or the, you can interact on the website please don't hesitate to uh, give me a call, but it's been a pleasure. You've been a absolute pro, my friend. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rocky. My pleasure meeting you and talking to you, John, today. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You've been listening to the Present Influence Podcast. Remember to put whatever you learn into action in your life and your business if you really want to get value out of it. If you'd like to find out more about Rocky, some of the links are available in the presentinfluence.com website or at our podcasting home in Buzzsprout for Present Influence. Do tune in to more episodes. Make sure you subscribe. We have more guests coming up for you and looking to invite more people on the show as well. If you have suggestions for guests or you would like to be a guest yourself or you have some interesting areas or topics relating to presentation and influence skills that you would like to see us discuss, then please contact us. You can email me directly, john at presentinfluence.com and I look forward to hearing from you.